0: Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales,
1: and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikalov, and we've got a man on the show with us today who does not need introductions, but we will introduce him anyway.
0: In the studio with us, we have Tim Sims. He is a longtime expert in the industry. He knows all things about housing, modular, building materials, products, housing market, you name it. He has spent an inordinate amount of time researching it and can trump your factoids every single time. I know this because I've tried. Tim, we're so excited to have you here and jump into the plethora of content that we want to throw your way. Thanks so much for your time.
2: I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate the content you put out and the podcast, especially. It really helps me to stay up on the industry. So thank you for all you do. I'm glad to be here.
1: Tim, I want to kick things off. There's some news that just came out a week or so ago about Masonite being acquired. I want to get your take on this. Like, What does this mean from the market? Like, What was your first reaction when you read
2: that? Well, my first reaction was actually a memory when I first started working for James Hardy and we were competing at the time a lot in the Rockies markets with Masonite pre-finished siding, which is a hardboard siding, much different than fiber cement. So I thought more about that. And then my early days in building material sales, selling Masonite six panel doors and trim and so forth. And so that was my first thought is remembering back to my entry into building material sales in 1997 at a little company called Bellingham Sash and Door, where I grew up. And so that was my first thought. My second thought was there aren't that many big deals like this that happen, in, especially in finished goods. So actually, there were two things that kind of happened at once. And to see that happen with the finished materials, molding, doors, windows all happening at once is a signal that I haven't completely sorted out yet. But the deals that have been happening in the building materials space, product manufacturing have mostly been in the trusses and component manufacturing or in the aggregates and cement world. That's where most of the big deals and mom and pop deals have been happening. So to see that was, I think, a good signal. It's generally good for the industry when you see consolidation because you're hoping that it adds to efficiencies and makes things better for the trade partners and the lumber and building materials distribution channel. Because as we know, the whole industry is very fragmented. So when you can bring those things together and integrate them and roll things up in a way that is a value add and creates value for the channel, that usually is great for stockholders, of course, and the street, but really should be also good for the channel and trades. And what I mean by that is when you have a company that can develop programs and training for a host of different scopes of products, then that makes things more efficient, easier, less expensive for the channel and creates different incentives in the marketplace. And generally, those things are good. I thought it was interesting that there was a deal initially between Masonite and PGT, which is basically Milgard upset by MITRE so Mitre acquires PGT, but then Mice Knight still gets acquired by OC. That is going to have reverberating effects. Usually when one deal is contingent on the other, there are other things happening in the market that have been waiting to see oh, what's going to happen with this, and then they'll pull the trigger. So it might create a cascade. They say in this industry, a lot of things happen in threes. So those are all the thoughts I was having over the weekend thinking about these deals
0: follow up with something that you mentioned that's a little unique about the OC and Masonite merger, which piqued everybody's interests a little bit more. What's different here is these are two really big players and big players in the finished material space. Could I get you to play back for us as though you were a fly on the wall? What's the benefit that they see other than stock price, which like, frankly, that's the only benefit. No shame. We get you go for it. But that's not it, right? These are smart people who are invested in the industry and have built really recognizable brands and products with tons of loyalty for good reason. What would you say is part of the catalyst? And could we or should we expect to have more of these larger player acquisitions happen?
2: There's kind of two scenarios with M&A that seem to be predominant. One is when someone basically buys out a competitor and then then you see closures and layoffs that come out of that because they're integrating a lot of overlap. Then the other scenario is when they're bolting on a business or a region. So in this case, it seems like OC, they were looking for regional bolt-on and product bolt-on. You can see that When you look at the covered markets, they're gaining a lot, but probably no need to close any facilities or lay people off, at least very little. They get a net ad versus kind of an overlap ad. They're looking for, okay, we're not as strong in these businesses, these segments, these regions. And if they're looking to add value and create value for stockholders, then they either have to do that. Or take out a competitor, and sometimes you can do both. In this case, it looks like they can just add on these businesses. In a lot of cases, add a lot of feet on the street in terms of salespeople and bandwidth. So in these cases, they get a lot of synergies without having to have any closures. And that's probably what they were looking for. When these things happen, it's typically not a month in the making; it's a year or two in the making. You can see why potentially the bolting on a PGT to masonite would have been a net ad for them so then they probably had a kind of if i can get these guys then we're going to sell to oc but if we can't we're still going to sell to oc because there's only been a five week difference in the two announcements but i think i agree with what you said earlier about there being more there should be more this year just because when there's one or two big deals that's usually
0: there must be something else
2: yeah they're waiting to happen on top of it
1: There's some other interesting news that came out recently you and I were talking about that kind of spurred this conversation, which is what's happening in housing development, specifically housing size for builders. Can you speak to some of that data that we're seeing
2: and what kind of ripple effect that's having in the market? So one of the things you and I were talking about, I mentioned that a lot of people aren't thinking about the decrease in home size which the headline is it's only gone down, you know, 3% or something like that, which is not nothing, you know, in terms of the effects of a home size changing in square footage, 1% has a huge effect on the building materials supply space and the building materials and building products manufacturing space. However, you look at when you break it down by market, you see LA has lost over 300 square feet in their inventory of homes the average square foot has dropped since before COVID to now 300 square feet. It's almost 500 square feet in the Denver MSA. What does that change for flooring, for fasteners, for adhesives, for molding doors, windows, all those things? So as the corp dev people at say OC and PGT and all these companies, that's something they don't miss, right? They're really analytical. They see the shrinking of home sizes and the shrinking of potentially wall sizes and the increase in ESG efforts and the energy code. They're thinking like we need to have more synergy here so that we can get more multiples on our efforts because we're seeing things shrink. Now there is some growth in Todd Tomalak talks about this a lot, big ticket remodel. There is increase there, but it's not, you know, if this continues with the new home size, decrease, it's not enough to offset the difference, you know, in terms of construction spending.
0: What's the precedent for that, Tim? When is the last time that home sizes across the U.S. were shrinking at, you know, full percentage points?
1: Wasn't it like the 90s?
2: Yeah. When you look at the FRED database, you can see the median home size in square feet decreasing over time. And the last time they've only been tracking it since 2016. So it's really hard to say on this database, that's the AHS survey. But when you go to housing inventory, that goes back a little bit further, that goes back to 2010. So then you can see the square footage differences over time for each MSA or each state or each county. And that is on realtor.org's data site is where you can download those tables. It's really important to watch those on a regional basis as opposed to a national basis because national is much more normalized. So the decline isn't so stark. But when you look at Atlanta, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Phoenix, places where it stayed the same or maybe increased a little bit is Texas. There's everything's bigger in Texas, but everywhere else it's either flat or declining. And then again, it depends on the asset class. So if we are to believe that build to rent is Going to stay the same or increase as a share of total starts, and then for sale inventory, a single family detached is going to stay the same roughly. Then, and manufactured housing is going to increase in shipments, which they have. Then, the actual building materials overall, in terms of the unit inputs, is going to go down because this overall square footage. Is going down so what are building product manufacturers going to do about that well consolidation is one way to answer that because they have to answer quarterly and get their ebitda and dividends and you know all the metrics delivered to shareholders and so that's i think a lot of what's going into these decisions
1: we're quickly approaching ibs what's the thing that you're looking for as you walk through the different booths i mean not a lot changes, frankly, in the building product space, except for maybe if you're going to the Masonite booth, there's gonna be a lot of conversation in Owen's Corning. <laughs> but like you're going to the event this year, like what are you looking forward to finding out? What are you asking people? What's on the top of your mind?
2: One thing I would think a lot about is what I've heard from recruiters lately, which is people with the titles that a lot of manufacturers and LBMs and even on the kind of overlap of the builder manufacturer side are looking for our strategic partnerships tech and innovation product management those sort of things in terms of the headhunter search and so since that's the case and that's what companies are asking for i'm looking for okay what's happening with tech and innovation what sort of alliances am i starting to see and so what am i seeing in terms of strategic partnerships tech and innovation i would just that world of concrete there was huge innovation I saw with battery technology. You saw DeWalt, Bosch, Milwaukee. The stuff they're doing is bonkers in terms of what they're putting together, not just in product, but in services. I saw world of concrete, you know, where you buy a batch plant. Well, these batch plants are so small that some of them were talking about putting batch plants on job sites. So what sort of stuff that were typically done off-site could now be small enough to put on a 200 to 300 home subdivision or a 300 unit apartment complex on-site? And robotics has a lot to do with that too. So I feel like those are the things that I'm looking for and those kind of conversations. I'm hoping there are people there talking about as opposed to kind of the typical incumbent legacy conversations and displays.
1: Tim, thank you so much for coming to the show. For our listeners, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way
2: for them to do that? LinkedIn, it seems like that's where I get all the messages. People can go to my website, timsims.com, last name S-E-I-M-S, and look at what I do and what I have done. But I'm most active on LinkedIn.
1: Thank you again for coming to the show. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, check us out at venview.com slash podcast to subscribe and get more. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikalov. Thanks so